Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Hey guys, welcome to Branch Life Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the founding pastors at Branch Life, and we're glad that you've joined us today. We're glad that you're here online whenever you're watching this live or the rebroadcast. And if this is your first time connecting with us at Branch Life, welcome. We hope that you will uh, let us know that you've watched this and that it is an encouragement to you. If you're just jumping in to our series, we're doing a summer series called summer playlist. We're looking at some of the best songs ever written and we're telling you why they should be a part of your summer playlist in the summer or anytime during the year. Every week as we gather together, we're looking at a new psalm. These psalms are ancient songs that were written and they're some of the all-time classics. So join us as we jump into today's psalm. We're looking at one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, Psalm 23. Now psalms are artists. They're, art, they're, excuse me, Psalms are artistry. They're works of art where you will find uh, some incredible beauty and creativity. They are mirrors into your soul. You will see yourself in these pieces of art as you read the book of Psalms. They have the emotions that you and I have. There are Psalms for happiness and sadness, for being angry and for rejoicing. These are songs that were written and sung to music over the course of thousands of years, and these are prayers that you can pray to God. Will you pick up the Summer Psalm Challenge and read a psalm every day, and you will find incredible joy as these psalms are a part of your summer playlist. Last week, we talked about the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous artworks of all time. And the Mona Lisa is right across the room from one of the most overlooked paintings of all times. Because, hey, let's face it, when you're in the room where the Mona Lisa is, that's where your attention's going to be. The other painting in the back of the room, called The Wedding Feast of Canaan, it's like the Psalm 22 of the Bible. Psalm 22 is an incredible, priceless work of art, yet it's often overlooked because so many people are rushing to Psalm 23. Last week, we checked out Psalm 22, which is an incredible passage. You should check out that video if you get a chance. But this week and next week, we're going to stare face long into the Mona Lisa of God's Word, Psalm 23, one of the richest and wealthiest psalms of all time. You've probably heard this, whether you're new to church or whether you have been a part of church or reading the Bible for a long time. Psalm 23 might sound familiar to you. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me uh, into paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Some of these incredible, incredible stanzas have become mainstreams in our society today. So what is Psalm 23 all about? You may have seen the cult classic Finding Nemo. 
It's an incredible story about a little orange fish that got separated from his dad, Marlin. And Nemo ends up finding himself in the fish tank of a dentist's office with a couple of friends, the blowfish, the starfish, the crazy fish that likes bubbles. And Finding Nemo is warned over and over again about Darla. Darla. Darla is the dentist's niece with the braces who comes in. And he is going to give Nemo to Darla, who's a known fish killer. She loves these fishes to death. Well, Darla comes in during this movie and she comes up to the fish tank and she starts tapping on it. Tap, tap, tap. And she sees the starfish and she starts tapping on the starfish. Of course, in the tank, the taps are magnified by a million times and they hear this loud thumping, thumping, thumping. Well, the starfish starts saying one of the most famous phrases in the movie. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. In Psalm 23, if we were going to title this Mona Lisa of God's Word, we would title Psalm 23, The Happy Place. What is the happy place? Where can we find true happiness? Where can we go to find that place that we're all searching for, that we can be truly and deeply and completely fulfilled? What is and what should be our happy place? You know, a lot of people spend their entire lives looking for the happy place. They're looking for this place where they, where they can finally be free, where they finally be content, where they can finally have all the money that they need and all the relationships that they need. And, and what a lot of people find when we get to these places that we've identified as happy places is that happiness is often elusive. You know, successful people are probably some of the people that know how hard it is to find happiness. I mean, they have everything that we think we want. They have all the fame. They have all the money in the world. They can buy whatever they want, whenever they want. They've actually arrived at the place where they can stay all day on the lazy river, sipping their Mai Tais like it's our dream come true. They never have to leave the shore of the lake. They can fish for weeks on end. And these successful people will tell you something that all of us just can guess at, that true happiness is not found there. So... Where is true happiness found? Where is our happy place? Well, Psalm 23 gives us that answer as clearly as it can be given. And the longer that you stare into this beautiful work of art, the more that you allow this song to play on repeat, the more that it speaks to your soul. And it reminds you of a truth that true happiness is found in the presence of the Lord. What does that mean and how does it work? That's what we're going to spend our time looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, let's look together at Psalm 23. We'll read it together wherever you're at. You can follow along as I read or you can read it out loud even in uh, the spot that you're watching from. Psalm 23, written by David, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, we're going to look at the first half of Psalm 23. And this is such a beautiful powerful work of art that we're going to spend even next week looking at the second part of Psalm 23. So make sure that you join us for that continued conversation. 
But as we have read God's word, let's talk to God and ask him to speak to us through it. God, as we look at uh, your truth written in this beautiful work of art, we pray, God, that you would connect it to our hearts, to our minds, and God, that it would inform our steps. God, let us see the beauty of the truth that is in this incredible song as we play it together here this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So we're not going to get far today, but I want to encourage you. We're going to spend some moments here just trying to understand the opening line. There's some incredible opening lines of songs, of, of movies, of books. It was the tale of two cities. It was the night before Christmas. Psalm 23 has one of the most powerful opening lines of all times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now I want to go through a little exercise that I encourage you to do anytime you read the Bible. I call it mark it up. And that's when you take a passage of scripture, you grab a pen or a pencil, and you just start using marks, circles, underline, arrows, list to observe what is there. And there is an incredible amount to observe in this amazing open line of uh, Psalm 23. If I was going to mark this up, I'd probably do something along these lines. You circle the characters that are here. We see the Lord, the shepherd, myself, uh, uh, mankind, even all being present in this statement. The Lord is my shepherd. So there's a connection. There's a painting that's being painted, and in the painting, a shepherd has been displayed as the main character. And who is identified as the shepherd? Well, none other than God himself. God is, is equating himself, comparing himself to a shepherd. Now, we see modern examples of shepherds. They're alive and well. In Bible times, shepherds would stay with their sheep all day, every day, 24-7. They would sleep with the sheep. They would guard the sheep. They would take them to where they were going to get fed. They would travel with the sheep. And we do see in some uh, Middle Eastern countries where there are shepherds who shepherd this exact same way today, carrying a rod or a staff that they use to guide the sheep, to, to defend the sheep. And these shepherds uh, are, 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 compared to the sheep, all-powerful. They, they know the direction that they're going to go. They know uh, what dangers lie ahead. They know what the sheep need and how to care for the sheep. They know the paths that should be taken. The Lord is my shepherd. And so if I'm kind of breaking this down, I understand what that means, the Lord being a shepherd. And we see that when it's talking about me, when it's talking about you, when it's talking about mankind, we are the sheep. Sheep e equals shepherd. We are compared in this art, in this painting, you find yourself uh, represented as a sheep. Now, I don't want to offend people who love sheep, but sheep don't have the best reputation for high intelligence. Sheep are probably some of the simpler animals out there. I have a dog that is deathly afraid of lightning, uh, thunder, fireworks, gunshots, the word boo. Anytime you, you hear one of these loud noises, my dog will run up three flights of stairs and go into our kid's ba uh, bathroom and tuck herself up behind the toilet. And she believes that that is her happy place. That somehow she's protected from these incredibly loud noises that scare her, that frighten her. And us as the sheep, uh, as the dog owner, we know that these fireworks and loud noises are not threatening in any way, but she has no idea. No matter what we say to comfort her or to help her, to instruct her, to explain to her what a firework is, and that's actually kind of cool and pretty beautiful, none of that seems to work. I just end up saying, what a dumb dog. I mean, come on. Can't you figure it out? But at least this dog can do tricks. She can shake with both hands. She can sit on her hind legs. She can even dance if you have the right treat in the way. Now, 
I, a sheep does even less than that dog. Sheep left to their own uh, devices will surely find their way to death. A sheep is a lot like a little toddler. It needs 24-hour attention. It needs to be cared for. It needs to be protected. It needs to be fed or it will not survive. A sheep will, if you let it, go find water and wade into the water just to simply get a drink, not realizing that the water is filling up and soaking down their wool coat and eventually they will drown themselves simply getting a drink because they don't know any better. Sheep are dumb. Now, I don't want to offend any people lovers out there, but what Psalm 23 is saying about you and me, the sheep, is that we're pretty dumb. Now, this is supposed to be a beautiful painting, and I, I want to find myself in it, and you're telling me that this painting is representing me as some, somebody who's not smart, as somebody who's dumb. That's almost exactly what I'm saying. Now, hold on, and we're going to demonstrate the reality of this in just a second. But before we get there, I want you to see the incredible, the incredible promise that's given to us in just these lines. The Lord is my shepherd, and here's the promise. I shall not want... Now, this is not a promise for everybody everywhere. This is not a blanket statement over every person in humanity saying that there's a God out there and he takes whatever form you believe he takes. And there's lots of paths to this God and we're all children of God. And because we're all children of God, that God's going to provide for us in different ways. And we're all going to be taken care of because a God is out there and we're all children of God. That is not what this, this psalm promises. As a matter of fact, this is a conditional psalm, and it's best understood if we would insert the word when before the promise. And it's better said this way, and this is how the language is set up. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, here's the reality of that. There are some times in your lives when the Lord is not your shepherd. When you are following something other than God, and when you are following something other than God, according to this promise, there is some incredible danger. And we find that in understanding the word want. What does it mean to want? Want is, yes, a desire for something, but also want is having your needs met. If you, if you do not want, it means that God has given you everything you need to accomplish whatever it is he's asking you to accomplish. God supplies for you all the resources in your life to do whatever the mission is that he's assigned you to do. If God is your shepherd, you shall not go without anything that you need. And your desires, the desires that you have that line up with the shepherd's desires will be the same. You will not want anything else other than what the shepherd provides. It's an incredible promise, but let's think about the inverse. If we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, what happens when we find ourselves wanting? We could say it like this, when I want, the Lord is not my shepherd. So are you somebody that wants a lot of things? Are you somebody that's desiring things that God has not provided for you? Is Do you find your soul longing after things that you would say, hey God, I don't think this is in your plan, but I'm going to go after it anyway. Want is a stepping stone Toward sin. As a matter of fact, when we sin, it's because we want something that God doesn't want for us. That's what always leads our heart to sin. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean by this. Why do we worry? Well, we worry because we're dumb. Now, let me bring that back around again. Every time we sin, it's stupid. Every time we sin, it's not just bad, 
but it's dumb. It's, it's moronic. We shouldn't be doing it. But we do the thing that we know we shouldn't do. That's sin. That's the definition of sin. Why do we worry? We worry because we want control. We want safety. We want security. When I'm worrying for my kids, I want them to be okay. But we're told by God very plainly, the shepherd says, do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. I don't take him at his word. Instead, I start saying to myself, I'm worried because I don't know if the shepherd will actually take care of my kids the way that he wants. The give me the right amount of money that I need for what I want. Provide the job that I think I should go for. Give me, give me the security that I actually think I deserve. You know, worry is actually wanting something other than what God said he has already given. And worry is stupid because God has said that I will provide everything you need. God has said that he is in control and is the reigner, uh, uh, the, the sovereign ruler of all things. When we gossip, why is that stupid and what do we want? When we gossip, we want to lift ourselves up by tearing other people down. That's the desire that we have. But God has said to us not to do that. As a matter of fact, God plainly says, do not slander. God says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, talk about other people the way that you would like to be talked about by other people. And here's why gossip is stupid. It doesn't work. Nobody gets impressed by you tearing other people down. Yet we try to do it all the time. And we think that by, by spreading that rumor or letting somebody know uh, about awful mistakes that someone else has made, that we're starting to somehow be lifted up in their eyes because we're putting someone else down. And we all know that's not how it works. Gossip is dumb. But we wanted something that God didn't provide. Sexual sin is the same way. Sexual sin is, is, is wanting some sort of pleasure or fulfillment or feeling that God is not giving us in that place or in that time. God has designed sex to be a beautiful thing. And God has, has said that he's designed it to be between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. And that in that marriage relationship, this can be one of the most fantastic gifts that God has ever given yet. We want what we want our way. And when we want sex the way that God says not to have it, we start going after things that we find meaningless. And it's stupid. It's stupid when we go after sexual sin. It's stupid when we go after uh, 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 an affair or go after a relationship that God says we shouldn't have. Clearly, God says do not commit adultery. Clearly, God says to keep yourselves pure. Clearly, God says to present your body to him. But yet we often find ourselves doing the dumb thing. And when we've done it, when we've crossed that line, when we've gone to that place, we know on the other side of that that ultimately it was empty. It was stupid. It was meaningless. We're filled with regret. We're filled with angst. And we're filled with turmoil. And God says, listen, I want you to do it my way. When we want something God doesn't want, it leads to sin. We're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. It's been going on for several months as we're recording this. We're in the middle of the summer months in 2020. And it's been interesting to see how even Christians, Christ followers, are reacting to the stress of this pandemic. And there are some common sins and some common pitfalls that we find ourselves slipping into. 
Because in the stress of the pandemic, we start wanting things. We start wanting control. We start wanting security. We start wanting safety apart from the shepherd. We start trying to work at those things ourselves. So if there's a couple of things that I want to warn us against as Christ followers in the midst of this pandemic, a couple of wants that I would say, hey, be careful about these things right now. It's an easy trap for us to fall into. I would say, hey, first, number one, don't fall into the trap of disrespecting our God-given authority. God says so plainly to respect the authority that he set up. God says so plainly that he is the one who sets up kings and tears them down. He is the one that's over governors and mayors. And yes, even if they're a part of a political party that you don't want, God is still in control. And when I trust that God is in control of the authorities that are in control of me, I can find myself at a much more peaceful place than wanting to combat the authorities that we have. And there are a lot of people out there that are going to push uh, for you to rebel, to, to, to make trouble, to do your own thing. But let me just say to you in these moments, want what God wants and God wants you to respect the God-given authority that he has. Yes, God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we follow him over all others, but we understand that he has put authority into our lives. Kids, respect your parents. Employees, respect your bosses. Students, respect your teachers. Athletes, respect your coaches. And citizens, respect your government. It's a trap that we Christians can fall into. The second trap that we can find is we can find a, a, a priority in selfishness in these moments. I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to put my needs first. I'm going to go into a bunker mentality. I'm, not, I'm going to do what I think is right. And if somebody disagrees with me or somebody tells me to do something different, I'm going to spring and attack. I'm, 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 going, to, I'm, going, to, I'm going to defend. I'm going to come out as a mama bear and roar in these moments. Don't don't be selfish in these times. Let's go with God's leading and say, love your neighbor as yourself. And to be able to looking first to the needs of others before I look to my needs. I may need to be uncomfortable for the sake of someone else's comfort in these moments. And the shepherd guides us that way. And the third, the third trap that we can find ourselves falling into in these moments is, is this trap where we see uh, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of stress, in the midst of worry, uh, an opportunity just to trust ourselves and to say, hey, I'm the only one that knows what's going on here. We don't trust anything else out there, but we look at other people as evil. As we look at this pandemic and we start thinking about the dangers that we have, it is easy for us to then divide. And I want you to be careful about dividing over disagreements. If somebody sees it a different way than you, would we still fight for unity? Would we still fight for love? Would we still fight for community? There are brothers and sisters in Christ who have different views on what's happening in the world today and people are dividing. Let me say this. Do not leave your church over their reopening strategy. I heard that said this week by somebody and it struck me to my core. I don't know of anybody who's disconnected from Branch Life because of our reopening strategy, but I knew, do know that there are people out there who are upset at their own churches. Don't let this divide you. Don't let this become a source of division in your life because God has clearly said that we are to be unified. And we can have disagreements in the body of Christ and still 
be unified. It's found right smack in the middle of Romans. So work against these things and these wants and guard your hearts and guard your minds as we go through. So how do we do this? And real quickly, I want to just share share with you the, the some of the incredible steps that we can take as we read this psalm. Understand that want is a signal that I've stopped following God. If I'm finding myself wanting something other than what God wants, that means I'm following a shepherd other than God. I'm following myself or I'm following another sheep out there. I'm following some feeling or I'm following some emotion or I'm following some desire. So guard yourself from want and let it be a signal that you need to reconnect and look to the God of the universe. So here's what we need to know in Psalm 23, 1 through 3. We must know that you can't know what God knows. When we understand this truth, when we understand this reality, it makes the green pastures all the more possible. When you know that you can't know what God knows. So let's see how this pans out in Psalm 23. Here's what sheep don't know, right? So if I'm a shepherd and I'm a sheep, I'm looking at that sheep, what does the sheep, does, what does he not know? He does not know the path that we're supposed to take. The sheep doesn't know the dangers that are out there. The sheep doesn't know when the sun is going to set or rise. The sheep doesn't know so many things that I know. We need to know that we as sheep don't know so many things. Here's what we can't know. We can't know the big picture. I want you to think about those people that were alive during the time of Christopher Columbus and before. And they had this leading theory that the world was probably flat. And if you sailed your boat long enough, you'd probably fall off the edge of it. Why did they think that? Because they didn't know the big picture. They didn't have satellites in the sky that circled the earth and they could see that this was actually a round sphere. But we know that the earth is round today because we see the big picture. But yet there are billions and billions and billions of stars and galaxies that we haven't even begin, begun to scratch the surface of. It is not possible for us to know the big picture in our short 80 years of life to know everything that's happened in the expanse of time in the creation of the universe. I heard it described like this this week. Imagine that your family was watching a two-hour movie and you had decided that you weren't going to go to the movie, but you realized that your wife had the car keys. And so you decided to sneak into the movie theater and to sneak up to your wife and quietly get there. And other people are telling you to shush. You're saying, no, you shush. And you get to the wife and you say, can I have the keys? And she says, yeah, here you go. And she's watching the movie and you look up for a split second and you kind of see there's a movie going on. You grab the keys, you sneak back out. You were in there for all of two minutes. And as you leave the theater, uh, one of the workers turns to you and goes, how was the movie? And you look at them and they say, you say, it was incredible. I mean, it was fantastic. The plot development was unbelievable. The acting was, was grand. The cinematography was some of the best I've ever seen. And you and I both know that he only saw two minutes of a two-hour movie. That's us trying to understand the world. We only see our small section of this picture and we think that we know the entire movie. We know how it ends. We know how things came together and how they're going to fall apart. We know uh, the, the closing of the story and the beginning of the story and the middle of the story and we've got everything figured out. We can't have everything figured out. It's not possible for us to know the big picture. It's also not possible then for us to know the way. We can only see what we can see and we don't know the way and the path that we should take. Just like sheep would not know how to get 
around the world how to get from an unsafe zone to a safe zone by themselves. And we don't know the dangers that are out there. We're just mindlessly enjoying our grass and we don't understand what is stalking us, what is coming after us. We don't understand the storms that could come in, the predators that could find their way, the thieves that could come through into the night. But the shepherd does. So what does he know? The shepherd knows green pastures. In Psalm 23, when he says that he'll take us to green pastures, this is a line of provision. He's going to provide for us the very things that we need in life. He's going to give us the supplies. He's going to give us the resources. He's going to give us the, the relationships. He's going to give us the direction when we need it. He takes us to these green pastures so that we can be filled. He, he will lead us down paths of righteousness. He'll show us the way and the direction that we show that is right and that is good, that is holy and that is just, and that leads to the true happiness in life that we have. And he's going to take us to the still waters. This is a line of protection. Remember, those sheep could wander into water, and if the water wasn't still, they could easily be drowned. So he's going to find them a place where they would be protected and safe so they could get the provision that they want. We must know that we can't know what he knows. Let me just say it simply. There is so much anxiety in trying to do life our way when if we would just submit to the things that the shepherd says, if we would just follow the ways that the shepherd is pointing us to go, if we would just do what it is the shepherd says to do, life would be so much happier. David Platt says it this way, so much worry and anxiety and despair and distress is grounded in the lies about who God is and the lies about who you are and the lies about other people around us and the lies that fill the world around us. We are dumb sheep. We believe the lies. So instead of looking to the lies of this world, to our own wisdom, to what we think is right and what we think is best, Fixate your mind on the truth. Focus on the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Do what it is the shepherd says to do. And so here is what the sheep do know. When you are the sheep and God is the shepherd, here's what you know. John chapter 10, verse 25 and through 27 says, Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. When you are a follower of God, you know the voice of God. You know his voice. You hear it clearly. You understand the direction that he wants you to go. And when you are a sheep in God's world, all you need to know is the voice of God. Now, here's the problem in the world today. There are so many other voices drowning out God's voice. There's so much noise. There's so much turmoil. There's so much angst in this world. There's so many things that we listen to that are not God's voice. We'll listen to the news. We'll listen to our friends. We'll have counselors that know nothing about God and who he is that have not yet studied God's word. We'll listen to other sheep. We'll be entertain ourselves. We'll turn the music up louder. We'll put our head in the sand. We'll cover our ears. And in the midst of all of this 
noise, God's whisper gets drowned out. But if you are a follower of God, you will be able to recognize God's voice when he speaks. So, how do I handle this pandemic? What do I do with these feelings? What do I ha- where do I put my concerns? God says, hey, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Follow me and I will lead you to green pastures, paths of righteousness, and still waters. If you seek me, you will find me. And all who come to me will find rest. Go towards a relationship with the shepherd. Invest in a conversation with him daily in prayer. Read the words of God. Renew your mind with your relationship with God so you can see clearly what it is God says to you and what he says do and what he says not to do. Don't do it. Simply follow the instructions of God. Be anxious about nothing. I don't have to worry. Don't slander or tear anyone down. I don't have to gossip. Do not commit adultery. I don't have to cross that sexual line. Respect your authorities. He says it. I'm going to do it. Put others before yourself. I'm last. They're first. Fight for unity. Even in the midst of disagreements. I'm going to love my neighbor and the Lord your God with all your heart. It's simple. What God says do. What he says not to do, don't do it. Seek the voice of the Lord. Are you wondering today if you are a follower of God? Have you been trying to live your life your own way? Are you sitting there going, I don't know what God's voice sounds like. Today, I want to invite you into a relationship where you, where you become a follower of God. Listen, if you're out there and you don't know God, that means you're trying to navigate this world by yourself. And today that can stop. You can now follow the shepherd, the God of the universe, who will guide you to these green pastures and still waters. And you have, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you will know his voice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God the shepherd is described as the one who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And today you might be the one who is lost and Jesus is coming after you and calling you to a relationship with himself. If you're ready today to become a follower of Jesus and to find true contentment and soul peace in the, in, in the presence of God, simply have a conversation with God in these very moments. You can pray a prayer like this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I want to be a follower of you. I want, to, I want to have a relationship with you today. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life and save me and allow me to be one of your children? Today, if you pray that prayer, you become a part of the family of God. Listen for the voice of God and he will direct you. Would you let us know that you prayed that prayer? If you have any more questions, fill out the response card. Go to the branchlife.church webpage and hit the, the gospel tab. And we'd love to talk with you further about what this means to be someone who knows the voice of God. Well, in Psalm chapter 23, and this is as far as we're going to get today, he ends this this paragraph or this first stanza with this incredible promise that it's he who restores our soul. If you're finding yourself in a lot of turmoil, if you're finding yourself with some broken relationships, there's somebody out there that's causing you angst and there's 
there's uh, there's uh, resentment and there's confusion. If you're out there and, and you're just stressed to the max and you even tried to get away and have that vacation, but you came out more stressed, you're worried about your health, you're worried about all these other things. Listen, here's how you arrive at the happy place. He restores your soul. If we marked up this verse, we would simply acknowledge what's here. God is the one who does the action of restoration for your soul, your inner soul. He's the one who fulfills. He's the one that gives you rest. He's the one that gives you strength and peace. When you follow the shepherd, you will not want. He leads you to green pastures beside still waters through the paths of righteousness and right choices. And in those moments, he restores your souls. Yes, even in the midst of a pandemic. Let me close with this thought. If you are someone who is living the life of the shepherd's song, if you are someone who understands that you're dumb, that you need the Savior, and you are following to the best of your ability God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're working all things out through his will, you're investing in your relationship with God, you're pouring yourself into these commandments to love God with all your heart, and love the world, love your neighbor as yourself, then this should describe you. In this world, and yes, even in this pandemic, Christ followers should be an example of calm, rested contentment. In this world, Christ followers should be an example of calm, rested contentment. Yes, even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic or job loss or loss of a loved one, we can be calm and we can be rested and we can be content. How is that so? The Lord, when the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're here today, you're listening to this message and you realize that as a Christian, this does not describe you. You have not been calm, rested, and connected, content. You've been angry and stressed and, and, and wanting things to change. Then follow the shepherd. Your want is identifying that you're following something other than God. And when you follow God, the result of that will be green pastures, still waters, paths of righteousness, and a restored soul. So my prayer for every one of us who are following Jesus is that in this world, we would be calm, rested, and content so that others will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. There is someone out there who needs to see your calm, content, restedness because they need to see Jesus in you. So will you show the world our shepherd as we follow him? God and Heavenly Father, help us to be these sheep that know the voice of our shepherd and trust in you to lead us. God, for those of us in these moments who have been convicted about specific sin, in these moments, God, we quietly confess those sins to you and we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for wanting. Forgive us for trusting ourselves. Forgive us for having poor reactions or poor attitudes. And God, in these moments, as you forgive us our sins, God, will you restore us to a relationship with you. Help us to hear your still, small voice. Help us to recognize it in this day and in the days to follow. And God, allow us to follow you wholly. And God, may we be, may I be, someone who is an example of calm, rested contentment, even in the midst of the storm.
In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, we want to invite you back next week as we continue this summer playlist series. Listen to this psalm and other psalms during the week. And when we come back together next week, we're going to look at the rest of this Mona Lisa of the scriptures, Psalm 23. Have a great rest of the week.